Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. Today we have a simple question and an age-old question, but one we hope to bring a, a little bit of nuance to. Is the Bible all that we need? Is the Bible all that we need for salvation, for church organization, for getting together between congregations? And where do creeds fit into all of this? Those different structures that uh, different church leaders have put together throughout the years. What do they mean? Uh, where and how are they useful today? Dana, why don't you give us some background to get our conversation going? Yeah, so I think all three of us fall under the broad category of evangelical Christian. And all that means is that we all three have a very high view of Scripture, Scripture's role in the faith. Um, that said, we all are coming from a very uh, peculiar tradition, the Churches of Christ. And anyone familiar with the Churches of Christ uh, knows that one of the fundamental ideas to the beginning of the movement was this idea of no creed but the Bible. Other fellowships, I'll go ahead and say other fellowships have used that phrase before, not just the Churches of Christ. Um, that was a, a Reformation slogan as well. Uh, but that, that has shaped us deeply in that we, we've tried to abandon creeds and these outside documents and say all we need is the Bible. If you have a right interpretation of the Bible, that was the main uh, position of Alexander Campbell. The right interpretation of the Bible, you have all that you need. Uh, that said, I'll go ahead and begin with my own opinion which is, though I fall under this category of evangelical Christianity, I think the Bible is the utmost importance for the faith, I probably, um, in, in contrast to y'all two, would be in a position where I, I hold that the Bible is sufficient for matters of uh, what you might call salvation. Um, for it, it's perfect in its teaching of righteousness um, and bringing people to know the, the basic will and nature of God, um, but I wouldn't say that the Bible contains all knowledge. No, I, I think most people will would reject the extreme statement that it contains all knowledge. We can all agree that I can't learn algebra from the Bible, um, but where that uh, fuzzy distinction begins and ends is where... Um, that's where the contention begins. Um, and I will go ahead and slide further to one direction and say, um, I think it's best to understand the Bible as sufficient in matters of salvation. And if we start there, we're in a good place. Um, and we have to really be confident whenever we're trying to inch beyond that and say, um, it is all we need for everything. What are y'all's thoughts? Stephen, what, what do you think? Yeah, let me chime in with a question. Uh, once, first of all, you said we can't learn algebra from uh, reading the Bible. And so there are questions that arise that may not uh, do with uh, salvation issues or weightier issues. If you read the Christian Chronicle this last uh, uh, 
issue, they had an article about should we use the expression salvation issues or what the Bible actually refers to them as weightier issues. And so when we're dealing with these uh, issues that seem to uh, be a pivotal point for uh, either um, a religious group or a denomination, whatever you want to refer to them as, is uh, the outside things that we're looking at, such as the age of the earth. I always bring this one up because it's one that we can <laughs> clearly refer to as uh, it's an observational science where we were not there to observe what actually happened. And so we are relying on uh, the the sources that are acting as if they were experts. And we have two cases. You have the Bible that uh, where you have men that wrote the Bible. And if depending on how you define inspiration, um, were they writing uh, based upon their knowledge or were they writing uh, the words of God that were uh, given directly to them? And so how what what source are or how are we viewing the source of the Bible uh, in that aspect? So I think it's important to make that distinction early on to define the rest of our conversation. Stephen, you're getting at the distinction between using the Bible as a source and then outside uh, some what some people would call science, what other people what what other people might call uh, man's interpretation of facts with God exited from that interpretation. Um, or we could look more, part of this conversation is also looking more at when two different people read the Bible and come to different conclusions. And therefore you have to make extra teachings. You, know, you, you have to build on top of the Bible. Here's what the Bible means when it says this. I think when you get into issues of um, of of science and what does the Bible have to say about that? You have people who go directly to the Bible and those who say that the Bible didn't mean to talk about this. That's not necessarily someone would say I choose to use the Bible, I choose not to, but different interpretations. But you're having um, to reconcile both. Uh, I think what you're trying to get at would be a good example. Uh, that we find in Proverbs most commonly, where you have rules of thumb that are applied. And these, uh, the ones in Proverbs are obviously directly in Scripture, and so we can hang our hat on those. However, there are other things that, uh, uh, again, denominations or religious groups will use as good rules of thumb for how they go about defining what a godly life should be. You could... Uh, a common example of this is church attendance, where some religious groups will say, you need sure. to go to church every single time the doors are open, where others are like, well, you're not going to go to hell if you, uh, or sorry, you're not going to go to hell if you miss a, a meeting because you have something going on that does not show that your life defines this other thing as the priority over church in your life. And so, yeah, it's things like that, which I brought up Proverbs because there are a lot of general rules for living that may not always apply in a universal sense, but they are good things that uh, if you're rolling the dice, taking your chance, you would want to go with those things rather than going with something that man has made up. Yeah, um, and I appreciate that genre distinction, Stephen. 
Um, but yeah, Michael, and I, I kind of apologize because I led the conversation in that way by saying it's sufficient in, in regards to realms of knowledge. And that's really the, the question that I think you're bringing up is when we're talking about the scripture sufficiency, you can look at it in, um, is scripture sufficient uh, for salvation in regards to other means of salvation? So is scripture sufficient or do I have to look to other philosophies and other world religions? Or you can say is scripture sufficient for all knowledge, in which case you, you're looking at scripture versus um, usually science, but um, I mean you might look at other things, other philosophies, other world religions. Um, but then I think where this conversation is probably um, most beneficial to people and what how we started is the conversation scripture sufficiency in regards to its own interpretation. Um, and in that regard, it's yeah. generally seen as scripture versus creeds, which is the thing we began with. And so I think it's important. As long as so we- so can, I, can I, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Can I offer a, a, a small clarification there? And t- Daniel, tell me if I'm wrong. I would say that the two sides are sola scriptura, scripture alone, versus scripture and creeds. So the side with creeds would not say we're getting rid of scripture. We're just saying that there are, the, the, the teaching of the church builds on itself. You know, the idea of the Trinity wasn't in the, in the original scripture, but because creeds came along later and solidified it, now it is it is building on scripture. What scripture already teaches, but solidifying that. Am I correct? Yeah. So um, one of the topics I, I, I like to think that I know um, a decent amount about <laughs> is the um, debate that's often framed as scripture versus tradition. And when you're thinking about that, you usually think of the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church and these strong uh, traditions that go through them and help lead the church. Um, And I think you're right, Michael, in almost across the board. Yeah, when you're talking about this, it's not scripture versus tradition uh, exclusively. It's usually that's shorthand for scripture versus tradition and scripture. There's probably, to be fair, a time in um, the the church around the Reformation, and this is really when church was at it. Uh, the church was at a very low point, so it's not fair to compare against this. Um, but there was, at that point, there was a very strong emphasis on tradition versus scripture. Um, but, anyways. Uh, yeah, so there's this often this contention here that yeah, people saying sola scriptura or is it the tradition of the church involving creeds and the dict and the words of the uh, the papacy or just church leaders and church authority. Um, and so I think it's probably good as we continue this discussion to have just a little bit of understanding of what creeds are most of the time. Um, creeds the they're ecumenical creeds and creeds that come from the early church councils. And those are the ones that people are often talking about, uh, like the Nicene Creed, um, Chalcedonian Definition, the Apostles', Apostles Creed. creed. Um, and those creeds are um, early church statements where all basically the entire church comes together across the known world at the time, or across the entire Christian world. Um, and they come together and they say, this is what we believe. And it's usually in rejection of some sort of heretic and some specific heresy. 
Um, and so people will complain about the creeds and say, well, the creeds aren't, don't talk about Israel and the importance of Israel and God's redemptive plan. And the reason for that is because that wasn't what they were addressing. They're addressing the idea that Jesus isn't divine or that Jesus is too divine, stuff like that. Um, so that's what creeds are. They're these short statements saying this is what we believe. And a lot of people say that we need to interpret the Bible through the lens of these creeds because they're the only thing that we can all agree on. And they're a good starting point. What do you all think about that idea? So I like the idea of creeds in that it allows us to read scripture in community. Uh, for example, when I'm reading scripture, I'm not just reading it by myself, but I'm reading the same scripture that my grandfather read, and I'm reading the same scripture that my grandchildren will read. I'm also reading the same scripture that Martin Luther, that Augustine, that the early you know, church fathers, and even the apostles themselves were putting together. You know, we, we like to think of the scripture as something that stretches across time. And so to the extent that a creed is a commentary on scripture and allows me to read in community with others, I think it's a good thing. However, where I would where I would draw my line is to say that I am responsible for reading scripture and going back to scripture as the ultimate and only source of authority. Um, it's possible to give some authority to previous church teaching to say that I don't have all of the wisdom in the world, so I should depend on those who have come before me. It gets tricky, though, because there is no definite line where I say, okay, this creed is good, this one's not. Um, I'm sure that there's some gray line where, where there's one creed out there where most of it's good and a little bit's not, and then maybe that line uh, of, of thought went off in a direction that I'm not comfortable with. So I think we should be respectful of creeds, but we are certainly not under the authority of creeds in the same way that others might think. I think that they're good for reference. I think that they're good to be respected, but they they are not uh, my ultimate uh, my ultimate source of, of doctrine and ultimate source of authority. That can only be scripture. Uh, I am responsible for my own interpretation and, and also responsible for my immediate community, both in geographic and time and term, uh, in, in terms of time. Um, so I, I want to make sure that I don't give over more authority than I should. Stephen? Right, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I'm going to make one tiny little tweak. But I also sure. want to put that uh, what you said into an alternative view where w w essentially what a creed is, is a teaching that is adhered to by the, the group that you're a part of. And so what is, is there any difference in a creed uh, than what your preacher or your eldership are saying that this is what our church believes and this is what our congregation follows. Okay, uh, essentially that is your church's creed and you are placing your, yourself under the eldership at whatever congregation you're a part of. And you said you do not view them as an authority. Well, we do know that the eldership... Ultimate authority. Yeah, right, Ultimate right, authority. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ult I was going to make that clarification. But yes, we... We do have them in a position of authority where if a push comes to shove, we need to 
understand that the eldership should uh, have precedent on the decisions that are being made in the church. However, if we view that their uh, decisions are in conflict with uh, what we d uh, can see in Scripture, where it's completely outlined, then yes, then uh, that ultimate authority of Scripture clearly needs to take precedent there. Uh, but yeah, when it comes down to it, uh, scripture is what we are going to be able to uh, hold as absolute and what needs to be the driving force for how we measure these creeds for whatever they're worth. Um, any teaching that we're going to hear or any preaching that we're going to hear, we need to search the scripture and see if these uh, these standards that are being thrown out by the preacher or the eldership or somebody just teaching your kid's Bible school class is what they're teaching uh, able to be upheld with Scripture. G give me 30, 30 seconds really quick, Daniel. I, I know you have some thoughts to share here. I do want to say this. Um, to the extent that there are ancient creeds that set up central doctrines, for example, the Trinity, there have been those within churches of Christ that have denied the Trinity, but I would imagine that most of us today would claim that the Trinity is a doctrine worth keeping, but it's not because of the oldest creed that said it. It's because scripture, to me, is clear about the centrality of the Trinity. So once again, it's going back to the scripture, even though the creeds have reinforced it through time. Uh, Daniel, you have some thoughts? Yeah, and I think that is a good understanding of creeds. Creeds as restating Scripture and restating the central ideas of Scripture. I do want to say I don't disagree with a single thing y'all have said, and probably I think I, I agree with what y'all have said like as an ultimate paradigm of creeds are, we can think of them in as much as we agree and we submit to our local congregation, a creed is just a larger sense of that happening for the whole Christian community across the globe. So we we submit to this, but we are ultimately uh, um, we ultimately must be true to our own interpretation and trying to do what we think is God's will for us. And so, if that ever, hopefully, it never does. But if it ever does come into conflict, then we are um, responsible to do what we think is the right thing to do. Um, that said, I do want us to try and sympathize as much as possible with uh, maybe a, a more extreme view. Um, and so the idea is some people would say, uh, and, and I, do, I do kind of sympathize with this, that sola scriptura, uh, this, is, this is blatantly a, um, a rejection of sola scriptura, that while I say the Bible is the ultimate authority or the, the greatest authority, um, there's also the appreciation of the authority of God's church. Um, and, I mean, that's not that hard to defend um, in light of very little authority being given to the written word in the Bible. Um, the authority of the written word comes from the church giving it authority. There's probably more in the Bible about the authority of the gospel and the apostles and church tradition. Um, that said, so when you are operating under that paradigm, you understand authority coexisting in the church and in scripture. Um, and obviously the church or the 
the farther you get away from Christ and the apostles, the more you have to rely on scripture to give you that perfect lens and it, it gains more authority. You're still Can you explain more of what you meant by the church having the uh, ha- having been given authority? Um, yeah. So just briefly, um, yeah. So the biggest thing is tradition is a key term here. Uh, so church is discussed probably as much as scripture as authority is discussed, if not maybe less. But tradition is discussed a lot. Um, Paul talks about tradition. That's actually where the English word tradition comes from, um, is Paul's usage of the word handing over. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Does tradition does tradition not come from Fiddler on the Roof? Um, when they sing about tradition, tradition. Transliteration okay. from uh, Fiddler right. on the Roof. Uh, but the idea of the apostles being given authority, which they then pass on. Obviously, we're coming from a... A fellowship, the Churches of Christ, which have talked about, which are big on cessationism and uh, not only miraculous gifts ending with the apostles' generation, but also that sort of authority. But other Christian traditions say that that's totally artificial. You just made that up. And really, the tradition, the church keeps that tradition um, and the authority that comes with it. That's a, that's an assumption. So if you, uh, if you take that assumption, then the one thing I want to say is that you get these creeds as authoritative statements. Um, so they, people might say, Unitarians will say, the Trinity is not that clear. But the rest of the Christian world will say, well, by the tradition of the church, we look at these creeds, um, or we look at the history of what we've taught, and we say, no, this is the case. And especially that helps, the idea is helped by the fact that those creeds predate some canons, or some, some creeds predate the canon. Meaning, we only have the canon by the the authority we've invested in the church to decide on the canon. And so we say, okay, we also accept the thing that they gave us before that, which is the Nicene Creed, the first the first big one. Right. So does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and uh, I was going to add on real quick that the, the church, essentially you need to look at the nature of the church and its people with flaws regardless of how Christ has established that. And I also wanted to see uh, if you guys had thoughts on when Christ said himself, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and how he divvied that authority out. And let me also say that I've always thought that there is a very ambiguous understanding of uh, the Trinity from when that became a popular concept uh, until now. I don't think that the church has ever had a very good understanding of it. I don't, and I don't. And anything I've ever come across has never explained it in something that is fathomable, and maybe that is because it is not completely fathomable. Uh, Michael, I want you to address his first question in more detail. But about the Trinity, we'll say the Trinity has been in vogue since... Uh, the church fathers since a couple hundred years after um, the uh, after the the closing of the canon and um, the apostles' generation, and it stayed extremely popular and known within the Christian tradition. Really, until the Enlightenment, it started to fade because it was paradoxical. And Enlightenment thinkers thought, "Why would we right. focus on a tradition that doesn't make any sense?" And then our fellowship specifically 
continue that Barton Stone was not a Trinitarian. Um, he, uh, he didn't like the word, and when he describes his concept of quote-unquote Trinity, it's not, it's um, Arianism, which is a known heresy. Heresy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Campbell, even though he doesn't like the word Trinity, he's very much says, no, we need to believe this certain thing. But because of that divide in our early movement, it affected us for the next uh, 150 years or whatever where our, right. our fellowship does not have a good understanding of Trinity. That's our fault, though. So, Stephen, I, I do want to get back to what you were talking about as well, but I, I think putting what you were saying with what Daniel was saying, I, I think we have to remind ourselves there's different types of authority. So when we talk about the authority of Scripture, we're talking about the authority of God speaking into our lives. The, the authority of the transformational word of God, uh, the word become flesh, really. And then when Jesus talks about, you know, all authority on heaven has, uh, and earth has been given to me, therefore go, and he is, he is giving authority to the church. In other places in scripture where it talks about the authority of the church, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I think the authority being talked about there is, is the authority of the church as a tool of God. That we are we are the instruments of God to do His work. That's our authority. Right. The authority, the authority, the th- the authority is to do work, not necessarily to uh, to be the inspiration of of Scripture or perhaps in some ways to supplement it with with teaching and exhortation. But it's not to make new. It's not it's not to do anything that tarnishes the ultimate authority. I think we can, no, we can play agree. around with I that. I believe we're being right, equipped. Correct. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so we're actually coming up towards the end of our time. I wanted to give everyone maybe uh, a minute to talk about your key takeaways and maybe a question do you think that is unanswered that our listeners should continue to think about. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say, um, well, I, I think – Maybe, maybe this isn't a great podcast if someone wants uh, every side of the issue, because I think we're all going to agree the Bible is your ultimate authority. Um, that's, that's part of what we think it means to be a Christian. This is our revelation from God. It's a very special thing that you don't get anywhere, including the church. Um, and in that way, there is some sufficiency to Scripture that um, is not matched anywhere else. Uh, I would challenge listeners, though, to um, consider what can be gained uh, specifically from the ecumenical creeds, um, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, which, I mean, that's not really one of those, but Apostles' Creed is also important. Um, And those are worth looking into, if for nothing else, just for academic purposes, to understand, what do they say? Is it that different from what I believe? If it is, why do I believe differently? And what does it mean to be a part of Christianity at large and believe in these uh, central the central story presented in the creeds. So, and I don't want to undermine our entire podcast that we've done, uh, but it is worth thinking. You always do. Okay. So. Well, all right. Well, let's just get it out of the way then. Um, let's consider that the canonization of the Bible, or the uh, was that the Council of Nicaea? Uh, am I making that up? 
I think it's at a later council, but go ahead. People disagree, but that's, yeah, let's go with it. Okay, so even that is, is a consensus that man put on God's word. Of course, if you believe in, uh, at least the way I believe in inspiration, that God allowed that council to uh, put together his words into a way that is going to be able to uh, bring his kingdom and minister to the church in whatever way. Um, but if you want to believe that that itself is a creed that uh, man has put together where man decided that these are the books that we believe express God's message the way it was meant to be expressed, then even that, it's, you know, those memes where it's uh, Keanu Reeves, like, what if I told you and then s says some ridiculous thing that's a conspiracy theory? So even the Bible itself, you could say that it is its own creed because it was man that put it together and assembled these uh, literary works that are inspired by God. But um, that's not really me offering anything to the listener other than something else to consider and throw a wrench into our own spokes. So um, thoughts on uh, – I, I I'm not asking for y'all's thoughts, uh, but it's just something to consider. So my takeaway is that for those of us, and I include myself in this, who don't go to the creeds often – I think it is good for us to think about what have Christians before us put down on paper or written on papyrus or stone, whatever they were writing on at the time, and how has that affected us even, even without our knowing it? Uh, how have those doctrines come down to us? Do we still agree with them? And uh, where, where has your faith been shaped by people you didn't even know were shaping it? Uh, a question that I have going forward, and, and I'll offer this one up be because I had a friend ask me about it. Uh, it, it was a, a friend of mine, and, and she had decided to start fellowshipping with a, a specific congregation. And she she realized that she didn't share some of the same beliefs on some different issues. Some, she would say, more important than others. Some of them were because of their uh they're wanting to go after a certain a certain creed, if you will. And so my question is for all of us, to what extent can I fellowship with someone who is looking to creeds rather than what I would say is going back to the word? How does fellowship work uh, when some people use more or less creeds or creeds at all, and I use some other form there? It's something that all of us have to answer on our own, and we won't solve it today. I will say one other thing that we've talked about here is the idea of how the Bible came together, and that's another podcast that we're hoping to do in the future. So stay tuned. With that said, thank you for joining us for this podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation, and we invite you to, uh, to pass along your comments and suggestions for future podcasts. Also look at the Religion and Story blog for other information on the topic. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.